Jesus. Amen. I will go ahead and dismiss our children to Kids Church this morning. If you have an ankle biter, you can send them to Kids Church. <clears throat> you know, there is none like Jesus. As I listen to the praise team sing that song this morning, I was reminded of the countless times in Scripture where we saw Jesus interact with some of the riffraff that he interacted with, uh, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. And I was reminded that there truly is none like Jesus. You know, the world discards those who are unlovable, those who are damaged, those who are broken. And Jesus says, come unto me. Jesus says, you're broken, I can fix you. You're damaged, that's how I want you. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And I'll take that which the world discards and I'll use it for my glory and my grace. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to the book of Matthew. As we continue our study in the book of Matthew, we continue to walk through the gospel of Matthew. We are coming to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we remember that the book of Matthew was written by Matthew. Nothing gets by you. And the book of Matthew was written to the Jews to portray Jesus as the son of David. And so there's a specific author, a specific audience, and a specific theme for the book of Matthew. And this morning as we look at the book of Matthew, we're going to be reading just two verses, verse 13 and 14 of chapter 7, as we come to the conclusion uh, toward the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those that find it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are indeed a God of grace, that you meet us, where we, where we are, that you meet us where we are and you pour out your grace and you say, I refuse to let you stay where you are. God, this morning there are many of us here who are at a divergent road. We are at a fork. And we have to make a decision as to which direction we're going to travel, whether it is the broad road or whether it is the narrow road lord may you give us the strength to be obedient may you speak to our hearts this morning in jesus name we pray amen well jesus is speaking very specifically to his disciples this morning i titled the message two roads diversion i remember whenever i was in the uh, seventh grade, I had to remember, I had to memorize Robert Frost's poem, Two Roads Diversion, A Yellow Wood, and Sorry I Could Not Travel, we're both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could 
to where it bent into the undergrowth. And, and we, we've all heard the poem. And we've, we've all, uh, if, if you were in school in Louisiana, you probably had to memorize it and you had to take tests on it and you had to, 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 to have all of these assignments about two roads diverged. And that, that poem is a very famous poem, but it's very applicable. It's very applicable in life because no matter where we are, we are on, we're on a path. And there comes a time whenever we have to choose which path we're going to take. And two roads do diverge in our lives, oftentimes, and we have to make decisions on to which road we're going to take. And obedience is going to lead to freedom and fulfillment. So when you leave this place, I hope that you will leave understanding that obedience to God, obedience to His Word, is that which will lead to freedom and fulfillment. So, this morning, as we jump into the text, Jesus is speaking, Jesus is speaking very specifically to His disciples. Many of us have, have read this passage, and we have heard this passage as an evangelistic message. And it has been used very, very effectually as an, evangel- as an evangelistic message. For evangelism, that, that there's a, a, and we see this in the Proverbs, that there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Jesus said there are two roads, a broad road that leads to destruction and a narrow road that leads to life. Choose the narrow road. But I want to remind us who Jesus is speaking to. Go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, and I want us to see the audience of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. While there was indeed a multitude gathered there, there was indeed a multitude of people that were gathered around uh, the, the the disciples as Jesus was presenting his sermon on the mount i want us to look at verses 1 and 2 chapter 5 when he saw the multitudes he went up upon the mountain and after he sat down his disciples came to him and opening his mouth he began to teach them saying and this is where we get the beginning of the sermon on the mount now english 101 we have a pronoun them It refers to its antecedent, the closest noun to it. Whenever we look at them, in verse 2, Jesus is referencing his disciples. So while the general audience was the multitude that Jesus was addressing, his very specific audience was whom? His disciples. And so we see all of this admonition, the the Beatitudes, we see Jesus' admonition about prayer. Jesus' admonition about giving, Jesus' admonition about, about judgment, Jesus, all the admonitions in the Sermon on the Mount are very specific to those who are followers of Jesus, those who have in some way, shape, or form committed their life to Christ. And this is not an evangelistic message, but this is a message to His disciples. And so if this is a message to believers... If this is a message to those who are already Christians, we understand that this admonition is not an evangelistic message. That there's a broad way that leads to death and a narrow way that leads to to life. Now, now don't misunderstand me. There are other passages of scriptures, like the one in Proverbs. There's a way that seems right to man, the end thereof is death. There's a way, uh, and so so we see in other areas of scripture that, that there is absolutely that application. But in this specific text, Jesus is speaking to believers. Now this reminds us, this reminds us, church, that salvation, redemption, 
being born again is not the end result. That that, that that is not our end game. That salvation is not the end, but salvation is the beginning. Salvation is the beginning of a life that God intends us to lead. That, that salvation begins this life of redemption. Salvation begins this life which God intends to use for His glory. Salvation is not our ultimate goal, but salvation is the beginning of the life which God has called us to. And so, we must understand that the life which God has called us to in salvation is absolutely through the grace of God. It is the purpose of Christ to free us from the power and bondage of sin, not simply from the penalty of sin. If salvation is the beginning, not the end, if this admonition, there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and there's a narrow way that leads to life, and that is for believers then what does that naturally, what does that that mean for me? What is the practical application? Galatians chapter 4. Flip over to the book of Galatians chapter 4. Paul says this. He tells the churches in the region of Galatia, as they had come unto salvation in Christ, they were in this, this mode of trying to to take all of these Gentiles who had come unto salvation and saying, okay, now that you've come unto salvation, you have to do this and that, and you have to, to, to become uh, circumcised, and you have to follow the law, and you have to, to keep all of these dietary restrictions, and keep all of these, these ceremonial uh, uh, law of the Jewish people. You have to become Jewish now that you have become a Christian, because after all, Jesus was a Jew, and Christianity is birthed out of Judaism, and all this stuff. And Paul comes to them and he says, no, you don't get it. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6. And because you are son, God has sent forth his spirit, his son, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through the throne. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection did not just free us from the penalty of sin, but he freed us from the power of sin. And what what does the law work when we are in bondage to sin? The law works guilt. The law works condemnation. The law works depravity. Paul said, I had not known sin, but by the law. And so in Christ, in Christ, we are freed not only from the penalty of sin, not only from the payment of sin, but we are freed from the power of sin. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, whenever the Jewish people gather gather together and they sacrifice, they make atonement for the sin. Of all the Jewish people, there are two lambs or two goats that are slaughtered. One is the goat or the lamb that is slaughtered for the burnt offering. They slaughter the lamb, they pour the blood over the altar, and they burn it as a symbol that that the sin of the people have been atoned for. The penalty has been made. But then there's a second goat called the scapegoat. And the Priest, the high priest would, would symbolically place his hands upon the sinner and then place his hand upon the goat and then drive the goat out of the city. 
over a cliff so that the goat would never able, never be able to return to the city. Saying that the power of sin, the, the bondage of sin, not only has the payment of sin been made, except for the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, Hebrews chapter 9, except for, not only for the payment of sin, but for the power of sin over your life, that there is no longer any power that sin has over us. However, we live our lives in complete bondage to sin. Even after we come unto salvation, we live our lives as Christians like we are ransomed, pardoned criminals. That's how we view ourselves. Because we believe somehow that that salvation is the the ultimate end, the ultimate goal, that that if I could just get saved, and if I could just just be free from the penalty of sin, and when I die that I could go to heaven, that that's the ultimate goal, that's the ultimate end. Church, that's not the ultimate goal, that's the beginning. That is the beginning of what God wants to do in your life, is to free you from the penalty of sin. That's just the beginning. Not only does He want to free you from the penalty of sin, He wants to free you from the bondage of sin so that you could live for the glory of God. John chapter 10, 10. Listen to the words of the Gospel of John. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But listen to what Jesus said. I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. An abundant life is not a life that is lived in bondage. It is not a life that is lived in in slavery to sin. We live in a delusion in America that we're free. That's a delusion. The only thing that we really ultimately control is the volume in our radio. If you're married... That may be it. <laughs> you don't even get to pick what you eat for dinner. You know, the, most of us are going to go home tonight. We're going to go to bed and we're going to wake up in the morning and we're going to go to work tomorrow. Why? Because we have to. Why? Because if we don't go to work, we don't get a paycheck. We don't get a paycheck. We don't get to buy food. We don't get to support our families and live in this freedom that we call freedom. We live in bondage. We are in bondage to, to, to the expectations of others. We're in bondage to, to the world that we live in. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Romans chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in life? You don't like the way Paul says it, let's look at the way Jesus says it. John chapter 8, as Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, verse 34, he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So for us, church, we're either slaves of righteousness, as Paul would say it, or we're slaves of sin. There is no no freedom that we live in this delusion of. We're either, we're either a bond slave to Christ or we're a bond slave to sin. 
And so many of us, so many of us who, who claim to be Christians have walked down an aisle, we've got wet in the baptistry, we've filled out a card, we have said a sinner's prayer, and we live in practical bondage to sin because while we understand the penalty of our sin has been paid, we, live, we are living in the bondage of sin. Because we don't understand that salvation is not the ultimate goal, but it's the beginning. That God intends to redeem us. That God intends to free us through the grace of God. He intends to free us from the bondage of sin. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says this. He says, brethren, Christians, believers, I beg you by the mercies of God. Because of what we've heard in Romans 1-11, through because of the gospel, because of the transforming work of Christ, hear this, I beg you, therefore my brethren, I beg you, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. How? Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Taking every thought captive, making it obedient to Christ. How? How can we free ourselves from the bondage of sin. It is only after grace that we're free. It's only after grace that we're free. One of my favorite movies of all time, and my wife is cringing as I'm saying this, one of my favorite movies of all time is The Shawshank Redemption. Now, it, 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 it's a pretty graphic movie. It's a movie about a man who's wrongfully in prison. He spends his entire life in prison, and he ultimately gets out of prison, uh, tunnels out of prison, and, and uh, had, has this, this, this great redemption moment. But there's a scene in the movie where, where Morgan Freeman, uh, who is incarcerated for life, gets out on parole, and he's working at a grocery store as a bagger, bagging groceries. And he raises his hand, and he asks the, his manager, he said, can I go to the restroom? The guy looks at him, he says, if you have to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. He says, for, he says, for 30 years I've been asking to go to the restroom. And, and I, can't, I can't unlearn some of these, these habits and some of these, these things that I learned while I was in prison. And for Christians, that's how we live our lives. We've spent our entire lives in bondage to sin. And then Christ redeems us, and we don't know how to live in the freedom that is in Christ. We still give ourselves over to the bondage of sin. Because we, we have no other experience, we have no other understanding of how to live outside of bondage. I want us to look back at Matthew because Jesus tells us how to live in freedom. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. The destruction that Jesus speaks of is not an eternal destruction because who's he speaking to? believers his followers his disciples right and so if jesus is talking to peter and john and james and he's talking to bartholomew and he's talking to matthew and he's talking to to the believers he's talking to the disciples he's not saying if you go in this direction you're going to die and go to hell because they are believers in christ 
What he's saying is, he's saying that, that there will be destruction of your life, the consequences of the choices you make will be bad. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul illustrates this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, go with me if you will to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. If Jesus has paid for your sin, if He has died for your sin and the penalty of your sin has been paid for, then the penalty of your sin is paid for and God would be unjust to send you to hell for sins that have already been paid for. If Jesus died on the cross for your sin, if He said it is finished, it's paid in full, and then God were then to execute judgment for sin that had already been paid for, God would be unjust. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God that was given to me, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, another, another is building upon it. But let each man be careful in how he builds upon it. Listen to this, verse 11. No man can lay a foundation other than that which was laid by Jesus Christ. Verse 12. If any man builds upon the foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Talking about the actions, the fruit of a man's life. Verse 13. Now each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall have a reward. Verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, so as through the fire. That's the destruction that Jesus is talking about. Look at verse 7, Matthew chapter 7, I mean. So we understand... That, that the destruction that Jesus is speaking of is not eternal, but is temporary. I want us to understand that every road has a destination, every choice has a consequence. My wife is one of the most intelligent people that I've ever met in my entire life, but you give her a map and it's like giving kryptonite to Superman. In a day before GPS, in a day before GPS, I would give my wife a map as we're on a trip, and I'd say, okay, I need you to tell me you know, where, what road I need to turn on, what exit I need to take. And she would, she would look at this map, and she would look at it for about 20 or 30 minutes, and she'd say, I don't have a clue what I'm looking at. I think you take the blue road, and you go down a little bit, and then you turn up. And, and it's, 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 it's just, she, she can't understand a map. And even to this day, when, when you know, she'll print out uh, directions, uh, to go somewhere, you know, I print out the map and she prints out the directions. You know, it's just, it's just the way women's brains work versus the way men's brains work. Uh, I don't understand it. I don't understand how someone so intelligent can cannot be able to read a map, but she can't. But, but I want us to understand that in our lives, every road, every choice that we make has a consequence. Every road that we're on has a destination. And if we take, just like in life, if we take a wrong turn, it leads us to a destination. If we make a wrong choice, it leads to consequences. The broad road leads to destruction. The lies of the enemy are subtle and deceptive. The lies of the enemy tell us things like, it's no big deal. It's really not that big a deal if you do this or you do that. The lies of the enemy say that, that, you know, that interpretation of Scripture is really archaic and antiquated. And to hold fast to an orthodox understanding of, 
of, let's say, the book of 1 Timothy that defines male roles and female roles within the family and within the church, that, that, that that's really for a different time and a different place. It's not really applicable today in our society. The enemy subtly, deceptively lies to us. If we go back to the very first lie of the enemy and then the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, we see that the enemy is subtle and deceptive. The serpent shows up and he looks at Eve and interestingly enough, from the very first interaction that Satan had with mankind, he begins to subvert the roles that God had set in place. God set up Adam as the head, Eve as the helpmate. And who did Satan address? Not the head. He addressed the wife, understanding that she was by God's design the weaker vessel. God, Satan, attacks and deceives Eve. And listen to the lie he told her. He said, from the moment that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be just like God. A very subtle perversion of the truth. She would be like God in that she would see both good and evil. And he tells her, you'll surely not die. Isn't that what the enemy tells us? One drink is no big deal. It doesn't really matter what the world, it doesn't really matter what those people at the church think. It doesn't really matter what, what the Bible says. It's really no big deal. Subtle lies, subtle deception. Interestingly enough, if we go back and we look through history, we look through the Old Testament. We realize that God, all throughout history, has given Israel rules, has given Israel very specific, uh, uh, a very specific set of instructions to follow. He tells, he tells Israel, eat these things, don't eat these things. Before you eat, wash your hands. Before you, you enter in the temple, you, th- th- there's this, this requirement to, to be ceremonial clean. There's all these Old Testament laws. Why? Was it because God was a mean God? No, it's because the people of of the Old Testament, they didn't have something called a refrigerator. And if you eat pork that hasn't been refrigerated, there's parasites that live in it. And you get something called trichinosis, and you die. And so God didn't tell Israel, don't eat pork, because He didn't want them to like bacon sandwiches. He didn't tell them because, because there's something inherently wrong with a pork chop. He said, this is for your best interest because there's no such thing as refrigeration. There's parasites and bacteria that live in this meat and if you eat it and if you eat it, and it's not been cared for properly, it's not been refrigerated, then you're going to die. He said, wash your hands before you eat a meal. Why? Because he wanted to, to, to create in, uh, uh, hindrances and, and, and inconvenience in their life? No. Because he wanted them to be healthy. During the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages, was some of the, 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 the greatest uh, growth and anti-Semitism across the world. Why? Because the Jewish people were in large part immune to the Black Plague. Why? Because they took baths and they washed their hands. There were sanitary laws that they followed that, that allowed them to be healthy. The laws that God gives us 
is not for our punishment. It's not for our, our detriment, but it's for our good. There's a reason I tell my kids, you can't play in the street. It's not because I'm a bad dad, but it's quite the opposite, because I'm a good father, and I don't want them getting run over by a car. But what we do as Christians is we see all the fun that the world is having, and we say, well, why can't we do that? Why can't we go play in the street? Because God says, I love you, and I want better for you. Because I understand that, that when you give yourself over to the pleasures of your flesh, that it indeed will be fun and will be enjoyable for a season, but in the end, it is death and destruction. It is, it is unsatisfying. It is unfulfilling. It is that which causes, causes pain and hardship that will last not for today and tomorrow, but for generation after generation after generation. There's a reason why there are, are why scientists is finding genetic disposition to addiction. Because the scripture says the sins of a father will follow for the second, third, and even fourth generation. And there's a reason why an alcoholic father often has an alcoholic son, alcoholic grandson. There's a reason why children born out of wedlock often have children born out of wedlock who often have children born out of wedlock. Why? Because broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are that find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life. God's moral laws are for His glory and our enjoyment. Do you realize that God has designed us to, full, to enjoy Him and enjoy His creation completely? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. <clears throat> My vehicle works best when I put unleaded gasoline in it. When I follow the instructions of the owner's manual and I change the oil and I put gasoline in it and I keep the tires inflated to a certain uh, uh, pounds per square inch and, and I take care of my vehicle it allows me the opportunity to go wherever I want if I were to take and put diesel in my unleaded gasoline engine it doesn't work if I were to take and deflate the tires if I were to put syrup instead of oil it, it, it kind of looks the same if I were to put syrup in my engine instead of oil it doesn't work. That which, which is intended to give me freedom, if I don't follow the instructions, it does the exact opposite. True freedom is found in the narrow road. The scripture tells us, that God desires our best for us. In Matthew 7, we see a very simple admonition of Jesus. He says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are there who find it. But the gate is narrow, the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those that find it. And this is for believers. Church, I want us to understand this. 
Obedience to Christ brings freedom. After we have given our life to Jesus, obedience to Christ brings freedom. It brings enjoyment. It brings fulfillment. Disobedience to Christ brings bondage. It brings destruction. It brings death. Now there are some of you out here this morning And you've experienced the death and the destruction that bondage brings. You've experienced the brokenness that comes with poor choices. You've experienced the brokenness and the hardship and the pain that comes with the broad way. Well, I want to invite you this morning to come unto Christ. It's interesting. All throughout the Scripture, we see those in Scripture, like the woman caught in the very act of adultery. For years, she had lived on the broad way that leads to death and destruction. And one day, Seeking condemnation, the world brought her to Jesus. And Jesus responded with grace. Zacchaeus, a tax collector, climbed up in a tree to see this guy named Jesus. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, and this is what he said. He said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. Why? What was he doing at Zacchaeus' house? He was going to eat dinner. For you and I, that doesn't mean a whole lot. They were going to have spaghetti, or they were going to have ham sandwiches, or they were going to have this, or they were going to have that. He said, Jesus, he said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. A hated tax collector, someone who was a traitor to his own people, someone who was who was hired by Rome to steal from his own people for his own personal gain. And Jesus said, you're a thief, you're a liar, you're a traitor. I'm coming to your house today. What Jesus said, table fellowship in the ancient world, was huge. What it said is that Zacchaeus, I am overlooking, I am forgiving your thievery, your lying, your, your, tre your treachery, I am forgiving you and I want to befriend you. The world has seen you as a, a, a vagabond, riffraff, but I see you as friend. Greater love hath no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. This is the grace of God, church, that God saw us where we were, as a woman caught in adultery, as a Samaritan, as a, a tax collector, as a sinner. All throughout Scripture, what angered the Pharisees the most when Jesus ate with sinners? Because when He ate with sinners, it says that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter what road you've been on, I want to show you grace. I want to forgive you. I want to meet you where you are and take you from where you are and show you the way of life.
I want to take you from this broad way and I want to put you on the narrow way that leads to life and lasting fulfillment. You've been living your entire life seeking that which the world offers and I want you to seek now what only I can offer. You have made for yourselves cisterns out of that, that are broken and that hold no water and I want to give you living water. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. There are those this morning who need rest who need grace. And it has nothing to do about salvation. You simply need to go from the narrow, from the broad way to the narrow way. There are those this morning who need to trust Jesus for salvation. You've been trusting in yourself. You've been trusting in what you can do. You've been trusting in, in the works of righteousness. And Jesus has revealed to your heart this morning, you've got to trust in me. My death, my burial, and my resurrection is the only way for eternal life. It's not in a denomination. It's not in a church. It's not in a religion. It's not in a baptism. It is in Jesus and in Him alone. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank You. We thank You that that while the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that You have come that we might have life. Lord, I pray that there are those here this morning who are living in bondage, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Is my prayer this morning that there are those out there who've been living living in such a way that they feel that they have to to be righteous enough to garner the favor of God, that they have to to do this or do that in order to garner the favor, favor of God, that they may realize that the only way that they are acceptable to God is by grace. Lord, may this morning, those that have been on the broad way that leads to destruction, may they find themselves coming unto obedience. In just a few moments, we're going to have a hymn of appeal. And as we sing, my prayer is that you would do business with the Holy Spirit. Are there things in your life that you need to to turn from, to repent from? Maybe this morning, maybe this morning you realize for the very, very first time that you've never trusted Jesus for your salvation. Maybe this morning you've trusted Jesus, but you've been trying to find fulfillment in the things that this world has to offer. Maybe you just need someone to come and pray with you. Whatever your need is this morning, may you come to Jesus, who fulfills all of our needs. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have the freedom to move here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.